Hello, and welcome to the Cantina Chatter Podcast. My name is Victoria, and I will be your guide on this adventure through toys, collectibles, and film discussion. Alright, so in this episode we are continuing the Star Wars Modern Toy Line Retrospective. We are looking at each and every Star Wars toy line from the modern day, which uh, is considered 1995 to the present. Uh, We started with The Power of the Force, we moved on to Episode 1, which of course uh, turned 20 this year. Uh, It originally launched on May 3rd, I believe it was. Uh, 1999. So we're just past the 20 year mark at this point. Uh, We also looked at the power of the Jedi and uh, today we are moving on. We're actually bringing in the big guns. Uh, Who better to talk the Star Wars saga line than uh, with Adam Paulus from GalacticHunter.com and 16bit.com. He works in the toy industry. He is a buyer for a major online toy retailer so I absolutely value his perspective and his uh, memories and his experiences collecting uh, not only toys in general but especially Star Wars and uh, the Star Wars saga line was such an expansive line tons of figures the awesome ultra assortment deluxe figures vehicles Uh, we got the unleashed line during this era so lots to talk about and uh, I do want to mention that we recorded this episode back in March and I was having very bad allergies that morning. So um, you'll definitely hear that in my voice. I was just being bogged down with bad allergies and uh, that happens, especially, you know, when you get to springtime and stuff's growing outside and stuff's floating around. Um, it was It was just a bad allergy day. Uh, And also I want to remind you guys, uh, if you listened to the previous episode of Cantina Chatter, the format of the show is changing on June the 10th. So we're going to refocus Cantina Chatter to being a 100% Star Wars show, Um, which, you know, we've covered Star Wars more than anything else in this show in the past. So uh, if you love that content, uh, that's not going to change. We are going to have multiple co-hosts for different segments on the show. So I am really excited to relaunch uh, with that new format. Um, That said, uh, the archive of all the previous episodes that we did that were not Star Wars will still be available on YouTube, and uh, we actually have one more episode coming in the current format, and that is going to be airing on Monday, May 27th, two weeks from now, and I'm actually joined by Toy Shiz in that episode, and um, basically, uh, we focus on every single toy line that I never got around to producing a dedicated episode of Cantina Chatter 4. So we talk like 20 different toy lines. It's like a crazy long discussion, but it was an absolute blast. Uh, seriously, one of the most fun times I've ever had uh, doing a podcast episode. It was it was so, so fun. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. Uh, and also, if you missed the last episode, uh, I am really excited about Collect Jurassic World. That is a new podcast that I'm co-hosting with Tim from CollectJurassic.com, which is uh, the premier toy collecting website for anything related to Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. So uh, episode zero is available already. You can preview the show. Check it out on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. You can also listen to it over on the Collect Jurassic YouTube channel. I'm really excited for the future of that show and really excited for the future of Cantina Chatter. Of course, uh, Discovery Land is also going as well. So 
trying to juggle three podcasts and that doesn't even include like the YouTube videos and the toy photography and all the other stuff. So going to be a little busy, but it will definitely be doable and, you know, lots of fun stuff. So stay tuned. Uh, that being said, let's go to get right down to business here and go back to 2002 to talk the Star Wars saga line. Okay, Adam Paulus, welcome back to the cantina. Thanks for having me, Victoria. Glad to be here. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, given your vast knowledge of all things toys and your history with collecting all of these toy lines. So uh, always great to hear your voice here. Well, it's uh, always glad to see what you guys are up to because uh, we're going through this great history thing and uh, you picked one of my favorites. Very cool. Yeah, the Saga line, as it is collectively known as, uh, it doesn't say Saga on the packaging. It's not like the Saga collection, not to be confused with that from 2006. Um, but it is a very vast line that did incorporate all of the films, so I can sort of see how uh, it might be referred to as being the Saga line, even though at the time there were really only five films. You had the original trilogy and you had the two prequels. Um, so looking at the packaging here for this line, it's a little bit different, but it does sort of incorporate that classic Star Wars aesthetic. Uh, it has some hints going back to the vintage packaging, um, but we have blue, and this was kind of an exciting thing at the time, as I recall, because up to this point, we hadn't had pure blue packaging, and finally we did. So what do you think about the packaging design? I thought it was one of the best, and it was really interesting to watch it evolve, because the very first shot of them had these little uh, cardboard diorama backdrop things in the packaging, and they left them out, I guess, gosh, probably as of the second or third month of shipping product. But you had that uh, border look, which people recognized. You had the hands in the lightsaber, which people loved. And it looked like it was one step further toward what would eventually be the original trilogy collection, too. Uh, back in the 90s, you're absolutely right. People were talking about, when are we going to get blue stripe cards? Because we had the orange and red stripe first, and then we had the purple one for Shadows of the Empire, and then the green stripe. Uh -huh. So this is just one of those things that made sense, that we'd someday see blue packaging. And uh, we haven't had a lot of blue packaging. I guess there was Legacy in 2008, but we haven't seen a lot of blue since then. Yeah, we haven't, and... Uh, I love blue. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, it looks <laughs> so, great. It does. And it had the gold bordering and uh, the lettering. And, and yeah, it was very unique. And um, as you noted, we haven't really seen anything since. Um, and it seemed like it was a little bit bigger than what we were used to. It, like, it was a little bit wider. Uh, the bubbles were a bit larger. Uh, and I think part of that was because early on, a lot of these figures had blast effects and they had... Um, other little accessories that we weren't quite used to getting. I think like the clone trooper had like a long little cannon. Um, so it's a little bit bigger. Uh, if, if you're collecting carded and you're trying to store these, they're going to take up a little bit more room, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as someone who has a lot of them carded still, it, it does take up some space. But what you got was one of the, I think, one of the best lines ever because they tried so much stuff here. I mean, sure, you had that bigger bubble, but uh, they planned ahead because you could put anything in there. Like uh, some of my favorite figures had a lot of accessories. Of course, Ifenmon had a bigger than big bubble. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't anybody who couldn't fit. And when we have a line like the Vintage Collection now, there's 
generally a certain form factor and they don't expand beyond it. So you know you're never going to get a big accessory. You know you're not going to get something much bigger than a Gamorrean guard or a yak face because it starts to disrupt that look. Uh-huh. But with this, uh, they could cram all kinds of stuff in there. Like uh, one of my absolute favorites, which everyone hates me for, is the Anakin Skywalker Outlander peasant disguise because he had like this giant box with magnets in it. It's mm. magic. <laughs> Speaking of magnets, uh, magnets were a big part of this line. Uh, figures in their hands, some of them had magnets so that they could grab their um, metal lightsaber hilts uh, fairly easily. I thought that was a blast. I know some people don't like that. Uh, I loved it. And I know some figures like Jango Fett had their removable head. Um, what are your thoughts about the way that they integrated magnets into this toy line? Couldn't be happier. Uh, one of the funny things was I was at a toy show in uh, Plano, Texas in Gosh, I think it was like summer of 2000, and they had the first test shots of Power of the Jedi. And one of the things I saw was the uh, Vader with a cut-off head. Trust me, this is going somewhere. And Mark Boudreau was there, and I was saying, like, oh, that's so cool. How's the head going to come off? And at that point, they still haven't decided if it was going to be a magnet or a peg. It ended up being a peg. And I'm like, oh, I really hope it's a magnet. And it wasn't. But by the time this line (laughs) came around and we had the magnets, I was really excited because you didn't have the unsightly peg when you do the decapitation. Um, mm-hmm. but it was so cool and exciting to see, but like the first time we saw that Jango Fett with a decapitated head was Star Wars Celebration 2, which was about a month before Attack of the Clones came out. Uh, so basically Hasbro spoiled the movie by putting the toy on display and cutting the head off. <laughs> but in the prequel era, it was kind of funny because, uh, Revenge of the Sith didn't have that much in the way of spoilers, but like the, uh, Phantom Menace soundtrack came out. I think it was like three weeks before the movie. And one of the track titles was like the death of Qui-Gon, a funeral of Qui-Gon. Yep. <laughs> and even though everyone keeps making a big fuss about spoilers and stuff, the official channels still keep putting stuff out there that just kind of torpedoes it. And the decapitated head stuff, I think, was one of the uh, most interesting ways to have done that. Right. Yeah. I still remember the day I was at Sam's Club and I picked up the soundtrack to take a look at the back of it. And I saw the, yeah, like Qui-Gon's funeral or, or something like that. And I was like, really? I, did I have to know that? Yeah. Like you couldn't call it funeral for a friend or something vague. It's like, oh, someone important dies. Right. You know? uh, yeah. Awful. I, I, yeah. I kind of feel like they had to have done that on purpose, right? I mean, like, why would they do that? <laughs> I just assume maybe John Williams was sitting there being like, that's a good name for it, jots it down, and everyone goes, okay, well, John Williams said it was cool, let's do it. (laughs) There you go. Um, Yeah, and there are the other one that comes to mind, too, as far as spoilers go, is I was watching uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and I remember he had Hayden Christensen on there, and he he had his action figure on the desk, and I think this was maybe even before the line had launched, and... Um, he said, so why does it do this? And he like banged it on the desk and the arm would fall off. And then Hayden was just kind of like, didn't really know what to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's defective. <laughs> well, there were a lot of, uh, running changes on this line. And I believe that figure had at least two because there was a magnet that wasn't very strong and it really did just fall off by, you didn't even have to bang it on the desk that hard. I think a later one had a, a peg, but I don't even know if I have one of those open yet because uh, it was kind of hard to identify from the packaging. You had to look at the date stamps. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the, I kind of remember that now that you mentioned it, that they improved the magnet because I, I know I opened a couple of those and I kind of feel like that was in fact the case where it didn't come off quite as easily later on. Um, but this line did have a, a midnight launch just as they did for episode one. Um, and uh, that was across Toys R Us and Walmart. I don't recall if Target was doing that. Do you remember? I remember going to several Walmarts that night, but uh, I, and I, did, I went to a Kmart, too, because Kmart actually had a sealed case of all the figures in it, which was the first time I've seen anything like that. 
Um, I don't remember Target when or the other like i remember walmart because i left one of my figures there and I had to go back to get it in tucson because i was way across town i left my plo coon bag there by accident but <laughs> uh yeah, yeah that's good times um but they had a pretty interesting launch i mean that case was uh, a good exclusive at walmart's they tended to rope off the aisle and put the stuff out but on top of that they also had the stuff out about a month early because uh, i was in college uh in tucson I was back in Phoenix the month before, and I was going to Walmart's in the middle of the night, as one does, and mm. they had stuff everywhere. Like, you could just pluck figures off the peg. Sometimes they had the uh, cartons open on the aisle, and you could just walk in and take what you wanted. I bought a couple of Tuscan Raiders early. I was really surprised that there was no problem, uh, especially after the Phantom Menace embargo, where they acted like someone would be executed if they even so much as breathed on the figures early. For Attack of the Clones, you found out it, it was a learning experience that no one cares <laughs> Uh, as long as the computers are dumb enough to let you buy stuff, you could buy whatever you want. But they fixed it before the midnight launch, so everyone could pretend it was a big important deal. But uh, we've been kind of pretending ever since. Right. Yeah, that's uh, it was a lot different times for sure. Uh, this was also my first midnight um, launch that I attended. I, I was I wasn't driving yet. I was in high school, but I wasn't quite old. I was, wasn't old enough to drive, so. Um, my dad uh, was very kind and he took me and my brother to midnight lunch. He didn't really understand why we wanted to do this. <laughs> He's like, why can't you just come back tomorrow during the day? And um, but uh, my mother kind of pushed him a little bit and, you know, he was willing to do it. So that was cool. Um, and I remember going and I, I know that uh, like with episode one, the figure that everybody wanted was Darth Maul. Mm hmm. And it seems like with every prequel, at least, everybody's going after the villains. And with this film, it was Count Dooku. Everybody wanted Count Dooku. Uh, we didn't know a whole lot about the character. Uh, the trailers didn't really show too much of him. And so he was kind of a little mysterious. Um, so we look and look and look through the toys uh, at midnight, at, you know, there at Walmart and no Count Dooku. Uh, I ended up leaving with uh, that Anakin with the arm that comes off and uh, Dexter Jetster just because I thought that was such an interesting looking figure. Yeah. Um, my brother grabbed a couple of them. I, I don't remember which. But um, yeah, we didn't find Dooku. Uh, at the time, I was very active on the uh, the Jedi Council forums at theforce.net. Uh, I think they're still up. And um, nobody found Dooku, apparently. I guess he was actually part of Wave 2 or something. And, and I we found, if memory serves, I think we found a couple because uh, multiple waves were shipping all at once because there wasn't just collection one and two, but there was so much demand for the product that they shipped so many cases that they started tapping into the wave two stuff a little early. Uh, uh, so depending on where you went, I think, and I might be misremembering here, you might have been able to find a couple of these things. Uh, interesting. I'm still learning things about this line 17 years later. <laughs> well, some of the, it's uh, the same thing kind of happened with Revenge of the Sith, where multiple waves kind of shipped on top of each other. Uh, in some places you went would have a clone pilot, and some places you went didn't. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, and it was one of the uh, smallest lines for vehicles, too. I mean, that was one of the things that I found kind of vexing. The figures were never better. Uh, and they really went all out because uh, during episode one, I, I might be misremembering this, during an earnings call, someone said they realized kids stopped buying Star Wars figures because it's $6.99. They were too expensive. And they, I believe the exact quote was kids treated them like a souvenir instead of a toy. It was something they bought after they saw the movie and they bought mm -hmm. one and that was it. For Jack of the Clones, they put it back down to $4.99 to try to get everybody to buy everything again. And I think it really worked. Yeah, if only we could go back to prices like that. <laughs> we could. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, it all depends on what targets you want to reach and what are you willing to add in or cut out. Uh, I, there are 
new takes on certain figures for certain markets that you can release the three and a quarter inch figure for under four dollars. You might have to do it with a little articulation or some accessories, but it's being done. Uh, it's just a matter of if and when Hasbro decides Star Wars is something to try that with again. Sure. Yeah, that that would be nice. I know you've mentioned that before to Hasbro and you talk to them and you say things like, well, you know, maybe get rid of these these little accessories that have nothing to do with the film and they kind of hem and haw about it. But I mean, I, I agree. I, I, if they wanted to, you know, if they're focusing on the 5POA line and they just wanted to um, have a, a figure, you know, with one accessory, no force linked or no, you know, extra accessory at, at $5, I think that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, those Saga Legends figures a few years ago were great. And when I see Galaxy of Adventures now, it's like, well, I don't really want this comic book. And it could be digital. And the canister packaging kind of blends into the debris of the aisle because they put it on the mm. shelf instead of on the pegs. It's not at eye level anymore. I just feel like Star Wars is being kicked to the curb this year, if I could go on a quick tangent. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I think there's potential there. But you just have to make a product that fits the price point and maybe you can't make things exactly like you used to. Like I love the super articulated figures for 13 bucks on the vintage style packaging, mm -hmm. which has a lot less uh, garbage going into landfills, especially compared to the saga figures, which have a lot more plastic and a lot more, especially with the backgrounds in the early shipments. True. Uh, it's just more stuff that went in the garbage. Uh, <laughs> if they could find a way to reduce that, that'd be great. Uh, and the vintage card backs, I think are one of the greatest ways to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely agree with everything you say there. Um, now, you'd also brought up an interesting point uh, that I almost forgot was that some of the packages on these did have those inserts uh, that were kind of like a little mini background uh, before they figured out, you know, uh, for the original trilogy collection shortly thereafter that you could just print that on the card back. Mm -hmm. um, but that was, yeah, they had these little cardboard inserts and not all the figures had them. It was kind of weird. Only some of them did. And it wasn't like every sample of Plo Koon that had the insert. It was only certain... Uh, ones or certain waves. Uh, that was a pretty interesting thing they they did as well with this line. Yeah, as far as I can tell, it was only the very, very first production. And uh, one of the things you don't really tell in the photographs, but if you've held these and you have, you know, uh, the backgrounds are kind of curved up a bit. So the edges are kind of rolling upward toward the uh, person looking at it. And that's pretty ugly. So by just dropping it, it was just a blue background. And with all this stuff in front of the backdrop, when they took them out, you really didn't notice a difference. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely wasn't really necessary. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm looking over the uh, the line here, and let me go ahead and send you the link real quick. Oh, if it's the uh, gallery, I think I have it up already. Oh, okay, yes, the Rebel Scum Photo Archive is what I'm, I'm looking at here. A handy resource. Oh, yeah, even after all this time. <laughs> um, so yes, it was a very big line, and it altogether it encompassed, uh, just looking at the... Let's see, they have 41 figures, and then they have a separate 19 that were uh, as part of the uh, the Clone Wars. And I guess they actually renumbered them in 2004 because it has, let's see, the way that Rebel Scum has it is one through... Um, one well, there through... was 50, the 2002 collection had 57 figures, but some of those spilled over into early 03, if I remember correctly. Ah, yes. Because I don't think the uh, Officer and Ethkoth and Tebow repacks and the Rebel Trooper came out until a little bit later. Yes, you're right. I see that here. So 57 and then 2003 had 41. And, and that's not including the variants because we had the two battle droids, the two indoor troopers. I might be forgetting some. Right. And then 2004 had... 21 so 119 <laughs> individually packaged figures 
And there's the exclusive ones. There were the, uh, I think the silver figures started during this line. The uh, Jorg Sekul, which wasn't included in their numbering. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can go on. There's a lot of, this was a pretty tremendous era when you think about how much we got in a year back then compared to what we get now. I mean, I think the launch for Attack of the Clones might have been bigger than everything we got for Force Awakens. Yeah, this was huge. Um, yeah, you mentioned Jorg Sekul. And, and when I go to Star Tours at Disneyland, uh, one of the little Easter eggs there is, is uh, you know, on the intercom, there's, they say, paging Jorg Sekul. <laughs> so <laughs> I always think of the figure when, when that happens. Yeah, I think that's a, it's nice that people remember. Absolutely. So just to take a quick glance over uh, this list of figures here, um, they started early on very action oriented. They, a lot of them were pre-posed. Uh, and I'm thinking of figures like that Padme Amidala, where, you know, mm -hmm. she had the arm that was like straight up and you couldn't really do anything about that. Um, there were figures like the Jedi who, you know, were also like kind of pre-posed like little statues. And um, as the line went on, they actually changed. Uh, they incorporated a few more collector-oriented figures, like Orn Freetaw, who, you know, Senator, um, you know, just kind of stood there and, you know, didn't really do much, but looked very good. Uh, they started incorporating a few of the aliens, a few of, like, more of the pod racers. And uh, as it went on, I think that's when the line got, you know, a lot more collector-oriented figures like Bail Organa, uh, figures like the Imperial Dignitaries, which we haven't seen since then. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty well-rounded, but it definitely started highly action-oriented and then kind of, you know, became more collector-focused as time went on. Yeah, you know, they launched with stuff that was pretty much purely Attack of the Clones. And uh, if you follow the assortments, Collection 1 tended to be figures with action features. So something was spring-loaded, something was magnetic, something could be pulled off. And Collection 2 tended to be more of the statues, uh, so those were where you found your, uh, like your Luminara and Dooley, who was basically a predecessor to the Unleashed figures that would follow later, because you could kind of move a head and an arm and that's about it, but they looked awesome and had incredible flowing robes and stuff. Yeah. Like even for the era for $5, like I was buying those figures back then and saying like, I can't believe I'm getting something this good for five bucks because at the time, I think the only other four ninety nine action figure line might've been the Simpsons. Hmm. At Playmates? Because, like, uh, after Star Wars, they just started bumping everything up. And in the 90s, Kenner was charging $5.99 for pretty much every 5-inch uh, figure. Huh. So it was really cool to see that they gave you so much for the money. And I think that probably helped them coast for a few years just because kids who bought Star Wars had a very positive association with it. Absolutely. I don't necessarily know that the uh, Tuscan Raider mom was as fun, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> well, you could put the baby in her back. I think that was pretty fun. And it's a cool outfit. Yeah, yeah. Very unique. Um, so yeah, there, there was quite a bit and I, my favorite part of this line was kind of getting towards the very end where they started doing like these themed waves of Jabba's Palace, Battle of Yavin, uh, Star Destroyer, Battle of Endor, which I never saw that wave of Battle of Endor at the stores because that's kind of when original trilogy collection began and they incorporated those three figures into that line. Um, so yeah, it, uh, the whole line really had all kinds of stuff and, you know, a lot of it was more kitty focused, but there were, you know, a lot of bones they threw to collectors throughout. And uh, I wanted to go over our top five favorite basic figures from this line. So uh, do you have your list ready? Oh, you bet I do. All right, let's hear it. Okay, my, and I, it's funny because I remember having arguments. Uh, I worked on a site called Galactic Hunter and uh, with Mike Sullinger, who's retired since then. But uh, we fought over this in 2002. 
because my favorite figure was not his, and my number two was his number one. Uh, my first one was the Bespin Luke from 2002, followed by Ephant Mon, uh, and then the Macquarie Stormtrooper, Anakin Skywalker Outlander Peasant, and Wat Tambor. Very nice. So we share three figures on our lists. Oh, which three? So Bespin Luke, um, and uh, let's see, we have Wat Tambor, we have... Um, Actually, maybe it's only two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have, a, so yes, I have Bespin Luke, Wat Tambor, Ayla Sakura. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, Padme Amidala, Lars Homestead. And, uh, okay, so this is kind of a two for Jaquil slash Tannis Spijak. Yeah, I was tempted to put them on the list because I love that they were starting to figure out how to share tooling and give us more with less. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about that Bespin Luke real quick, because uh, at the time it was a pretty special figure. It was very unique for the line. We hadn't had a Bespin Luke that looked this detailed. Um, what were your thoughts at the time of seeing Bespin Luke on the pegs? I thought we were the dawn of a new age of greatness. I mean, like it's an original trilogy figure, which always gets me excited. But uh, with all the variants and running changes, which I, I think I just back, finally got the bloody version a couple of years ago because I was never <laughs> able to find it because there was an extra bloody stump arm Luke, and then there was a peg one and a magnet one. Uh, the figure had this pain anguish look on his face. He had a weather vane, a back to tourniquet, a blaster, a lightsaber with a removable blade, and you push a button on the back of his belt and he would like slash. He had jointed knees, which was novel back then. The wrists could rotate. Uh, you've never seen anything like it, and it was five bucks. I mean, considering the fact just a couple of years ago, we were just absolutely tearing our hair out with glee over the uh, Power of the Force collection, uh, Luke, with the freeze frame that had one removable wrist, and that was a big deal. It's just amazing to see how quickly they jumped and how great it was. Still, people would find something to complain about, like, oh, come the shoulders weren't ball jointed. It's like, well, it's five <laughs> bucks, and you get, like, an accessory that's 10 inches tall when you piece it together, and that's just part of what you get with Bespin Luke. I don't think anything else ever came close. I could be wrong as far as, like, cool stuff in the box for the price. But that it still amazes me. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, it was fun how they did have those variants. I didn't even know about them until later. But uh, like, I think it was at, it was around the time frame that, you know, the line was out. But, you know, seeing that there were those three variants with the pegs and, you know, the magnet and the bloody stump. I never saw the bloody stump either. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was a really cool figure. And the way that you could um, put their weather vane, it had a suction cup onto like a mirror or onto a window. And then you could hang Luke upside down. I thought that was brilliant absolutely one of the best things you could ever get just because you could do stuff with it you could play with it you could display it it could be uh you know a background accessory you could have it up in your cubicle wall if you're so inclined uh, getting that figure out there and giving people something that could help really advertise the line to others if you're in a public space and this is being decorated in your dorm uh it's not something we've seen done i think since and uh, i really wish we could see more things that would encourage people to put this stuff in front of people just to say hey you should buy this stuff too definitely uh, you also mentioned Effent Mon, and you know what? I think that's the third one that I did have. For some reason, when I was putting my list together, I erased him. I don't know why, and I, guess I just forgot about him. Um, but yeah, Effent Mon, okay. That, so we got to talk a little bit about this. So Effent Mon was fan choice number three in the line, and probably the biggest Star Wars figure in the three and three quarter inch line that they've ever done. Would you agree with that? In terms of mass, absolutely. I think it was... Uh... Was his name Horrocks Rider from Phantom Menace? Was taller, but uh, as far as like you could hurt somebody with this, there wasn't anything better. Hasbro uh, told us that they actually lost their shirt on this one. I'm sure they didn't 
really do that badly. But they said it costs significantly more than all their other figures in the line. And uh, they, they had a talking to about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine. It's a very girthy figure. Um, but it looks incredible. I mean, it holds up just as well today as it did back in 2003 or 2002, whenever it came out. Yeah, I think it was like September-ish 2002, because it has this great wipe on the skin to bring out all the detail. It has this really terrible comb-forward, comb-over, just like in the movie. He's got this huge cloak. Uh, he's got a staff, which has uh, Jabba's uh, tattoo on the handle. Just all this amazing stuff on it. And, and this is the... Gosh, a couple of years after McFarlane Toys, it's nice to see a company like Hasbro say, no, 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 we, we can do this better. And they did. And they delivered it for a much lower price. And uh, I don't I can't imagine why they couldn't re-release this figure, even at a higher price. They never did. Um, it was really hard to come by in stores. The only time I ever saw one on a retail pick that I can remember was at KB way at the end of Saga when they were blowing out figures like four for the price of two or whatever it was in those big envelope packages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I still remember finding this one at the store. I remember going through, um, okay, so it was at Target and there were like stacks of boxes that, you know, early in the morning, I kind of had the routine down. Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays were the days that they would restock Star Wars. Hmm. And um, so I went one Sunday early morning, really early, of course, you got to get there at opening. And, um, you know, they had boxes that were unattended. And I was like, okay, I know (laughs) FNMon's in there based on the case, you know, whatever the assortment written on the box was. So I, uh, I I opened it up, and uh, sure enough, two Case Fresh Effin Mons were in the box. And uh, I remember just at that moment as I was taking them out, um, one of the employees walked over and he's like, is that the Elephant Man? And <laughs> I just was like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. And he's like, cool. And then I was like, cool. And I walked off <laughs> with my nice. prizes. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I remember doing the same thing because in that era, there were, uh, it's when I discovered that you could go to Walmart in the middle of the night and they had like giant pallets of boxes. And it wasn't that hard to slip out a box out of the pallet wrap and take it out, take what you want, put it back in and buy it. Uh, sometimes people would yell at you. Those people were usually Kmart employees. But <laughs> uh, there was like the new Masters of the Universe line, the new G.I. Joe line. There was a lot going on in 2002. I mean, it was a great time to be buying toys, I mean, especially when you had figures like Effentmon. I mean, who would expect that you could go in 2002 to get like a figure that is recognizable only because it was in publicity stills from 1983? Yeah, that's it's something. And uh, for for years, he inhabited my 3D pop up Jabba's Palace diorama, <laughs> and uh, today he is comfortably in the barge. That is a good place for him. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I love that figure. The cane, the tail. Uh, it always kind of reminded me of, like of a mutated armadillo for some reason. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a bad description. Yeah, I, I just always thought it, this is one of those things. Like I remember, I think the first time I saw this figure as a kid was on a puzzle, and you just look at it and you're like, "What's what's this guy's story?" Since I only saw the movie on VHS for a while. I mean, I saw it in the theaters once when I was a little kid, but it was mostly VHS. Uh, you never really expected to see figures like this. And that's something that I think today is a lot harder to understand is like there was a brief window when the idea of any new Star Wars anything was just outlandish. And when they start making new characters never before made from the original trilogy, that was just a mind-blowing experience. Is a, Sure. Yeah, a kid collector who grew up and just, nah, here it is. <laughs> um, so there was another fan choice figure in this line, and this one came out uh, towards the end of 2003, and that was the Macquarie Concept Stormtrooper. Uh, I don't remember who the other candidates were in that particular uh, poll. Um, oh, I can find out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wrote an article about this. 
I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, it's the fans' choice metrics. If anyone wants to look it up on Galactic Hunter, let me see if I can get that up on Google. Uh, okay, there's part one, and uh, I think this is it. And this is really interesting for readers to hear me uh, go over this. Okay, so uh, fans' choice four took place in summer of 2002. Figure was released in fall of 2003. Your choices were Macquarie Stormtrooper, Imperial Dignitary. Uh, General Raikin, Nim from the Starfighter game from Xbox, and a uh, scout trooper with the Rebel inside. Ah. Ah, very cool. And very handy to, to have that to refer to. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Macquarie concept Stormtrooper is an interesting one. Uh, I believe this was the first Macquarie figure we got in the entire line, wasn't it? Yeah, and I was surprised to see it. I mean, we got some concept figures, kind of, sort of, during Power of the Jedi, because that whole failed Jedi quest thing. So yeah, <laughs> like the training armor, uh, Obi-Wan and stuff. But uh, this is another thing I never thought we would see. It was Macquarie concept uh, action figures. Oh, wait, no, I take that back. Um, in 1998, we had the three expanded universe ships, and a couple of those had uh, concept art-inspired pilots. Or at least they had heads, correct? They had heads, yeah. And it was like, uh, <laughs> I think one where one or two of them was Macquarie and one or two of them was Joe Johnson. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it's neat. And the, the figure has a base, uh, which is pretty cool. It's a very generic looking base, but, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's really nice that it had it. It makes it a little more special. Uh, the figure itself looks great. Um, but one thing that I really loved about it is that the lightsaber was very unique. Um, so what they did with this lightsaber is they took... Uh, I guess it's like a little piece of white plastic, a white rod that they put inside the blade to kind of create that look from the films, perhaps, to may maybe varying results. Uh, but it also glowed in the dark, which I thought was incredible. Oh, that just knocked me on my backside because uh, I, I collect a lot of glow-in-the-dark stuff. I have a glow-in-the-dark uh, closet full of things that I buy the glow-in-the-dark. So <laughs> the Star Wars are so few. I mean, like, applause had... Um, the Emperor's hand on that 10-inch vinyl figure and that glow-in-the-dark Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there was like a 12-inch, I want to say it was an Obi-Wan that had glow-in-the-dark lightsaber blade. So, But three to quarter inch mm -hmm. glow-in-the-dark just doesn't happen. Right. So uh, this was really exciting. I, it was funny because uh, I talked to, uh, I think it was Andy Espenshade, who was uh, one of the managers of Star Wars back around then. And I was talking about glow-in-the-dark toys because there was a whole Jurassic Park uh, chaos effect like night hunters line that never came out and i was going like man i wish we got that and he was like oh man glow in the dark that's like the last resort when you see glow in the dark stuff everyone's all out of ideas i'm like oh come on and he's like no no it's bankrupt nobody likes it and just sitting here like you gotta be kidding me so that's why we probably didn't see as much glow in the dark stuff in this era you know they there were people who did not like it yes yeah, I don't. I don't get those people quite well because maybe it's maybe it's like an '80s, '90s kids thing. But yeah, glow in the dark is incredible. How many action features can you have that don't require batteries? Like there's magnets and there's glow in the dark, and they're both awesome. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I do want to note they did re-release this figure in uh, I think it was the 30th anniversary line, mm -hmm. um, and, but they repainted it so it looked a little bit different. I think it looked a little bit better. I mean, at the time, the Macari Stormtrooper was the greatest thing ever, but uh, almost any of these figure lines, especially now with the vintage collection, you're seeing that they can repaint the head and really change the personality of a figure. So I'd say that Stormtrooper was greatly improved, and if memory serves, the 30th anniversary line did not include the stand. Mm. Oh, yeah, you know what? I think, I think you're right. It didn't have that stand, did it? Yeah, so you kind of have to get both versions because uh, you want the coin. Yeah. And uh, I, I love that uh, packaging refresh, too, because they had the uh, Macquarie guys stand out in blue. 
which on one hand is really cool in your own collection. But when there were people speculating on what figures to sell on eBay, it also made it very easy for them to find, which was very irritating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is true. <laughs> so we also talked about Bestman Luke. So I just want to mention real quick that that one also got re-released in the uh, original trilogy collection, but uh, it was with a clean repaint. So they got rid of the blood on his face and they kind of muted the colors down. So it's just a basically a very basic, normal, uh, unbattled damaged Bestman Luke. Yeah, and it, it turned out well, I think. Um, I, for the life of me, can't remember if it had all the accessories or not. I'm pretty sure they took some of them out. As I recall, they did, yeah, didn't have all the, the fun accessories with it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I appreciate that they managed to find a way to, whenever you can find a way to take your very expensive tooling investment and get another figure out of it and collectors won't roll their eyes at you, I didn't at least. I, I thought that was a great thing. For sure. Um, so I did mention um, Ayla Sakura, and I know that we've had an amazing Ayla Sakura since then in the Vintage Collection. Uh, we also mm-hmm. got one during the Revenge of the Sith line, which um, I don't think looks quite as good, but it's more articulated. Yeah. Um, this one I really liked. There was a little bit of hype behind this one because I, I think Hasbro was actually posting like photos of like really early on of the, the development of the figure. And uh, finally, they actually, you know, we get the actual product and... Uh, the likeness is fantastic. The figure is like this really pretty blue color. And, you know, just the way they included that little base, which they did with a few figures during that wave or shortly thereafter anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the metallic lightsaber. And then, I mean, she's a little bit pre-posed. It's, it's kind of hard to uh, do a whole lot with her. But I think that figure still holds up. I mean, just aesthetically speaking, she looks awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, and they made a big fuss over in that era. Ayla Sakura was one of the first characters to make the leap from comics to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. That... And uh, yeah, I mean, that was exciting because we didn't get a lot of comics figures back then. Uh, I was a little disappointed by my Ayla Sakura because uh, her arm broke off immediately when I got her. And I was just livid because <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I think it was the right arm uh, swivel joint just kind of like, oh, what's this do? And it just twisted right off. And I'm like, uh, um I probably had more figures in the saga line break than any other subline, but that's because they were ambitious and they tried doing really uh-huh. cool new stuff. And sometimes that wasn't tested very well. Right. For me, it was usually those lightsabers at the pegs. Yeah. They were just snapping left and right. It was, it was tricky. Yeah. My uh, Kiati Mundi fell off of a display stand and uh, snapped. I crazy glue back together. I have another one I can open with a good one, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> So another um, line that was kind of, or an assortment that was part of this line was the Hall of Fame figures. And uh, this was sort of like a greatest hits or a way to get out main characters back into the line. Um, And it was, you know, very uh, classic characters like Vader, um, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, R2, Stormtrooper, uh, even some prequel figures like Yoda, um, Anakin, and Darth Maul. Um, so this was kind of an interesting one because some of these made sense. Some of them were kind of like, okay, well, these are figures from, you know, at the time it, was, it would have been like five years ago, right? Power of the Force. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, I think well, that's a good question because, yeah, I guess the Stormtrooper would have been Power of the Force, but they changed his chest decoration at least. Uh, mm-hmm. Luke had a change of accessory and Han, those were all the uh, episode one contact figures. Right. So not the worst versions of those characters at the time. In fact, they might have even been the best thinking about it now. Um, But yeah, this was a pretty interesting little line. I know that uh, I bought a few of them just because I don't know why I bought them. But, you know, that's that's what we do as collectors. We buy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So what were your thoughts on Hall of Fame? I liked it when they started making changes because like uh, 
C-3PO was a little bit different. R2-D2 was that Power of the Jedi Naboo one, but minus the uh, black blast marks. And any chance to get a Stormtrooper out makes me happy, just because I think for years and years, collectors just couldn't get enough of them. You couldn't find that darn thing. Because of, everyone was hoarding them for those uh, Death Star and Star Destroyer playsets. We were sure to get someday. Uh, we're still waiting. But um, I thought it was good for the line, and it's kind of like what we see with Galaxy of Adventures today, because back then there was the conundrum of how do you keep collectors engaged by giving them new stuff? But there's also a point where you have to say, well, anyone who's not already on board with this stuff still won't really be interested without a Darth Vader or a C-3PO sure. or a Luke Skywalker. So it was necessary. Um, I can't say I was excited about all of it, but I, I picked them up too. And uh, they had those great little clear display stands. And, you know, it was nice to have that version of R2-D2 with clean deco. As long as they made... Mm -hmm. Interesting changes. I was pretty happy about it, but I don't think I ever opened up my uh, Greatest Hits Leia still. Um, so looking over the list here, there are quite a, it's a pretty expansive line. There's a lot of different assortments within this line. So um, let's see here. I want to touch on a few of them. Okay, so uh, deluxe figures. It looks like it was all Attack of the Clones. Things like uh, the Geonosian that's kind of like in a little, you want to call that like a hive or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it had a suction cup on it, too, so you could stick it to the wall if you wanted to. Um, I, the thing that really blew me away at the time were the Droid Factory uh, sets, because you had the mm. C-3PO and Battle Droid, and Yoda was Super Battle Droid, but they had these display bases that were tiny play sets, and you can connect them to the Geonosis playset and build that out. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things I totally forgot to bring up earlier. This is one of the greatest lines in terms of, uh, you bought this, now you need that, because mm -hmm. you had, like, the Republic gunship. It didn't have its gun pods. You want gun pods, you got to buy clone pilots, and you get one with each of them. And there was all kinds of stuff that you'd buy at one toy, and you'd have something to add to another toy. Right. Like the Obi-Wan Kenobi pilot figure had the radar dish to put on your Jedi Starfighter. Yeah, yeah, good point. And uh, even things like, you know, with some of the figures, like, you know, if you bought that Bespin Luke we were talking about, you needed the Bespin Vader, of course. Yeah. Which, speaking of that Vader, I still, I, I know it's not the best Vader by any stretch of the imagination, but I still really like that figure. It's really cool. I mean, one of the things I remember the most about that, because, you know, you when you're around a lot of this stuff, you see how fans behave. Uh, and I didn't notice this at first, and I should have, but I didn't. Uh, that's the A New Hope Vader in the Bespin pose. And uh, that was goofed up on the design phase and approved <laughs> and put out there. But I was at a convention, I think it was Comic-Con in 2002, where I was talking to somebody uh, who shall remain nameless, and a fan who also shall remain nameless came up and just started like berating the guy for how bad a figure that was and how somebody should have caught it. And I was just looking there like, really, now? <laughs> you want to do this? And um, it's good that we notice these things, but on the other hand, sometimes you're just sitting there and you're just kind of like, yeah, this kind of hurts. Uh, but it's a great figure. Uh, I wish the cape stayed on better. But mm. I love that pillar you could slice down. Yeah, yeah, that that is a lot of fun, uh, having those accessories that came with those figures. Um, just jumping back to the magnets real quick, uh, one thing that I've noticed on some of my uh, figures from this era, and it's mostly the ones that actually stayed carded, but um, have you had any issues with the magnets disintegrating? No. Huh. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I've, I've, I haven't really... I mean, this line is, is so old at this point, nobody really talks about it anymore, but uh, I've talked to a couple of people at least that have had similar issues, and I think the worst offender was the Tuscan Raider with the removable head. That one, like, the magnet just completely turned to dust, and um, I think it was one of the, maybe Coleman, did Coleman Trevor have a magnetic hand? No, it was one of the Jedi that had the magnetic hand that it just kind of, like, also turned to dust, so it doesn't work anymore. Wow, yeah, no, I haven't had that experience. I'm 
very slowly going and setting up my uh, display cabinets in the room, but I'm still on Phantom Menace, so I haven't gotten to these guys yet, chronologically. Another one, going looking at these deluxe figures, you mentioned how you could interact some of these droid factory figures um, with the arena, but there was also the uh, the dwarf spider droid, which I loved this one back at the time. It was just like, it, it was from the film, um, it didn't have anything too... Well, it, you did wind it up and it walked, so I guess that's a little bit gimmicky, but uh, I think that was one of the best ones, too. I do, too. Uh, Wind-up toys are something that are really cool and kind of underrated. I mean, it, it was a staple of childhood for years, and uh, we got a couple of them in this line, which was nice. Uh, there was, of course, that legendary Takara R2-D2 in the 70s that uh, Kenner US refused to bring over, but Kenner Canada had no such problems. I, I wish they do more things like that, because, you know, again, there's not much you can do without batteries that's fun and motorized, and this is one of those things you can do. Yes, definitely. Um, so let's talk about one of my favorite things about the Saga line, and that was the Ultra Assortment. Yeah. Now, um, this was a way that they packed a lot of, I mean, you got your bang for your buck. I think these retailed something like $10. Yeah, nine ninety nine, and you got uh, a figure and a, an accessory that would make you blush. I mean, it was <laughs> like the only one that I thought wasn't the, a great deal was General Raiken because just the screen and no blaster was like, yeah, you can do better. But everything else, it was an embarrassment of riches. Absolutely. Um, some of the highlights I think from this one were the Wampa. Oh yeah. Um, so the Wampa had a removable arm which had like a little bit of blood underneath it. Uh, he had a big old piece of meat. And he had this uh, ice base that you, if you bought the Hoth Luke that came out around the same time, uh, you could attach to the top of the base and then you could put Luke Skywalker hanging from his feet underneath it. And that's one of those things that I still can't believe they did. And I'm so glad they did. Um, I would like to see more things like that. I, I, on a regular basis, I keep nudging people that I want a Wampa Cave, like a full-size Wampa Cave. But this is as close as we've gotten so far, and it's great. I, just the fact that you could get a Wampa for 10 bucks when just a few years before you were paying 15 bucks for a Wampa with less articulation and a Luke figure. It, it was uh, nice to see that, you know, with inflation and everything, you got something just as good or better for less money. Absolutely. Um, I do got to ask, because this happened to mine. It actually happened to mine, and then I, I got another one to open, and I opened a second one um, years later. But did the ice base or wampa that you had get really, really sticky? I think it got kind of sticky. Uh, that's been happening. Like a lot of the one of the things that Saga, again, that we don't talk about is the discoloration was pretty amazing. Uh, like a lot of the white plastic would get this oily green yellow stuff on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you could wipe it off using like a Mr. Clean magic eraser or um, use dryer sheets. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know what was going on. I mean, uh, there was more discoloration than like the Padmes and the clones and the droids in this era. I just, maybe they used cheaper materials to get the costs down. Yeah, it could have very well been, especially considering like this Ultra line we're talking about, all the stuff that, it, that uh, you got. Um, so we also got a Jabba the Hut, and that one came with his... His, is it, what do they call it, like a hookah pipe or something? Yeah, yeah. Java's uh, bong. His, <laughs> and uh, he had a little tongue that you could put in his mouth if you wanted to. And if you didn't want to have that in there, you could put the uh, the bong in his mouth. Yeah. And it was nice to see those kind of optional accessories, too. And Because uh, I don't think we've seen Java get a tongue that often, ever. Mm -mm. That might have been the only one, no? Yeah. Yeah, and it was a good Java at the time. Like no other Java looked as good as this one did. No, our previous candidates at this point would have been the eighty-three Java, which was perfectly fine. 
the 97 special edition Jabba, which the coloring was just kind of, eh, and he didn't really sit right. Uh, before this, the only one that was good was the Jabba Glob from Episode One, which had that <laughs> slime and all the uh, the little uh, alien food. Um, but yeah, even that, the the paint kind of flaked off of that pretty quickly if you handled it. Hmm. Yeah, that that's an interesting. You know what? I went back to my uh, parents's. You know, I live in California now. I'm from Texas. I went to their house where I still have like you know stuff there. There's still like certain Star Wars figures and things that they have there. Um, so the Java Glob, uh, the little canister that it came with, you know, it had the ooze in it that you could put the little frog guys in. What are they called? Chubas or something? Yeah, yeah. And um, I opened it up and it was like still completely intact and smelled exactly as it did back then. <laughs> That's amazing. I just got a couple of years ago these uh, aliens, like army figures from Diamond Select, and they had like ooze around this glow in the dark alien figure. And it turned out like, in that one, after I'd say a year, it solidified. Like you had to, like it was no longer liquid. You had to peel the stuff off like uh, an orange peel over the figure. And it was really weird. It still smelled like you would expect. But uh, in that case, they used really good components for Hasbro. Nice. Um, And then we had Jabba's Denizens. This one was a cool one too, because, you know, at the same time, it it enabled you to flesh out your Jabba stuff. It's kind of like what they're starting to do now. Um, But this was in 2000, late 2003, I think. Uh, so you had the Jabba's Denizens. They had a repaint of the Biomar Monk. Uh, it had, uh, is it called Wart? The little little barking guy? Uh, was it Bubo or Wart? No, that is Bubo. And then Wool Cavasiet? Am I saying that Easy right? for you to say. <laughs> so that's the other guy that was in there. And I think that was the only time we ever got Bubo or this other character. Um, but yeah, I, I still, I actually put, uh, Bubo in the, on the barge. Like I just thought he, he looked good in there, but, um, yeah, these are great. I mean, you know, just have, being able to brand out, you know, the smaller alien accessories, uh, at the $10 price point, I think was so incredible. Yeah. And, uh, one of the nice things too, if you're listening to this and you don't necessarily already have all of these, uh, collectors have short attention spans. If you wait a few years, prices sometimes go back down. Uh, I picked up my bloody stump Luke Skywalker for just a couple of bucks, and a lot of this early 2000s stuff isn't really going for a lot of cash. So if you want a cheap thrill and you don't like what Star Wars stuff's on the shelf near you right now, look at the 2002 era. Go on your favorite uh, online resource or comic shop. You're probably going to be able to pick up some really cool aliens for about what we paid for it back in the day. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff is pretty inexpensive. If you look at any of these saga figures, especially most of them anyway on eBay, you know you're not going to spend more than a few bucks to add them to your collection. So uh, definitely good advice. Um, just to touch on real quick, there was also a C3PO that came with the escape pod. Oh yeah, that was a good one because you got an escape pod, which was I think maybe a first for the line. Uh, definitely the first in the modern era. The only other one, uh, oh, wait, Action Fleet had one. I think Micro Machines had one, and uh, Kenner nineteen seventy eight or nine had that Land of the Jawas playset that had one. Uh-huh. But this one's way better. And since no one ever had the Land of the Jawas playset, uh, <laughs> this is the first most of us ever saw it. And you could take it apart. You know, all these great damage things in there, and you can cram R two and three PO in it. And we haven't gotten one since. Yeah, great accessory. And then there was the Ewok with the hang glider, which was also a fun one. Yeah, I, I was I love Ewok stuff. Like as a kid, that's I I was uh, an original trilogy kid who was born during the original trilogy, so Ewoks were very much on my radar. 
uh, in my childhood, and uh, this one was really cool. I, I wish it had more fun of a bomb-dropping mechanism like the old Kenner one did, but it looks cooler and it had a unique Ewok, and uh, yeah, for 10 bucks, you can't complain. Definitely. Um, so another thing that they did at the time was Walmart had these exclusive cantina sets, and uh, to this day, this is one of my favorite things that they have done, not just because I love the cantina, obviously, but... Um, because they were also pretty similar price point to Ultra, $9.99. Um, you got a figure, you got a pretty sizable bar section, and you got a little cardboard piece that you could cut out and uh, place in the insert at the back of the um, of the bar. And once you got you know all three of these and attached them together, it looked like you had a little scene. Um, so we had Greedo, we had Hammerhead, and we had... Uh, Ponza Baba, and they were slightly different from their previous incarnations because they were technically like repaints, but uh, they were a little bit different. So what were your thoughts on these sets? I remember there were some stories. I'm going to think if I can need to tell that story or not. But for series one, uh, it was great to see something like Ponza Baba had knees so he could sit at the bar and you could tear his arm off if you wanted. Uh, Mama Nadin had the retooled uh, torso, and I like redecos. Uh, it was the closest thing we were getting to a cantina playset at the time, so I was really excited to see things like drinks in there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, with Series 2, um, a lot of samples got out on eBay, and uh, certain people at certain companies did not like the fact that certain samples got out and collector sites were buying those and taking pictures of them, so there were some headbutting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I remember getting my uh, Kit at Kitkak for like... Must have been like eight bucks off of eBay. I mean, uh, it was really cool to see these things because they were finding there was such an appetite for Star Wars. Anybody could be convinced to take an exclusive and it would sell because there was enough people who were either loving the stuff or speculating that it was going to be expensive that it just got bought. Um, and seeing something like a build a playset, and this was the beginning of that, really gave a lot of us hope that they would keep doing stuff like that. And we didn't really see that much of it. Uh, other than like the arena getting built out from Geonosis. But uh, mm -hmm. when you see something like this, and this year with the new uh, Jabba's Palace Arch, I have a lot of hope that they're going to keep building that out. I don't know what they're going to, and I'm fairly delusional. But when you see things like this, it gives you hope for the future. And um, the cantinas in particular, we saw that they kept building it because in 2004, Kmart had two more uh, three packs of these bar sections. And then in 2007, they had the round end caps in the 30th anniversary collection. Uh -huh. So it was great to see that Hasbro didn't forget us, kept building it out, and they gave us a really big chunk of the bar. They can keep going if they'd like. I'd be very interested in that. Oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm really glad that they did manage to get those out uh, during original trilogy collection because, um, yeah, these were obviously you know, pretty exciting figures, uh, Kitty Keycack in particular, I mean, uh, which I, I learned how to spell her name, uh, over, you know, just by typing it. I guess I did enough times that it's like, okay, there's an apostrophe here and I can spell it out perfectly, um, which is kind of weird, Kitty Keycack. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that, uh, I, a lot of those things I believe were named in that West End Games RPG, which didn't really take into consideration that no child will ever get this right. Because like there's like Mew, Monith, and other ones. You're just looking at this like I don't know how it's pronounced. I don't know how it's spelled. I don't know where the apostrophe goes. But it looks cool. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, those those were great. I I'm really glad that they you know put a little bit of the spotlight onto the cantina uh, by releasing these sets. Um, so uh, let's see. We also had multi packs. 
Uh, and uh, just looking at these really quick, I think I want to say, okay, so these were Toys R Us exclusives. Some of them were. Uh, the other ones were white box mail-aways that were at the fan club or dumped unceremoniously at the Wizards of the Coast retail store. Mm, okay, yeah, like the Troop Builder sets. Yeah, those were... Uh, I still haven't opened some of those because uh, I didn't have any need to. <laughs> but like, uh, one thing I liked about them were you got something that was a little bit different. Like you got a cool accessory that was costed out of something like the uh, Geonosis uh, prison thing was originally going to be in the arena playset, and they didn't have the budget to put it in there. So we got it here. Um, we got a new Nikto Jedi, which was exciting. On the other hand, they did things like uh, the Hoth set that had the Tauntaun. And there were two different versions of the Tauntaun, which drove me nuts because I didn't want to pay 20 bucks to get it twice. But um, on the other hand, you really got your money's worth in these things because they were about 20 bucks. So for 20 bucks, you uh-huh. got Luke, Leia, Chewbacca, a droid, and a Tauntaun. When again, just a few years ago, you got a Tauntaun and Luke for 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. So like, I, it was mind-blowing how great the, the prices were on these things. Yeah, that that's the only set I actually had from this from this assortment was uh, the Hoth one. And I remember this was probably the very first thing I ever ordered from Toys R Us.com because I didn't have a Toys R Us in my hometown. Oh. And um, uh, I remember ordering it, getting it, and just having a lot of fun with those Tauntaun guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I mean, I, I got the other ones, and like when they did the Bounty Hunter set, I wasn't at all excited about getting the 300th Bubba Fat again, or the Bosk and IG-88 I've already had, but they had Aura Singh with her bike from the comics, and I'm just sitting here like, yeah, I'll pay 20 bucks for Aura Singh with her bike from the comics. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the Skiff Guard set was kind of cool, because you got color-coordinated, uh, slightly better staffs, but I think now all of those figures have been redone in better versions, so that's that's kind of pointless. Um but it was neat to see what they were trying to do and getting stuff out there, kind of like the Greatest Hits collection. Uh, and they did the same thing with uh, G.I. Joe around this era. Um, so we also had screen scenes. These were, a, the, it was a Jedi Council and the Geonosis War Room. So these were Target exclusives, as I recall. And you had to get... Uh, I actually, I, I, were they? I think the Geonosis and the Jedi Council were, but I think the other ones were Walmart, weren't they? There was like the... Uh, the, uh, the Death Star was definitely Walmart. I yes. think the other ones were open stock. Uh, there were Toys R Us Jedi Council ones later uh, for the original trilogy collection, but I'm pretty sure these were available widely because I remember seeing them in clearance at KB too. Okay, yeah, that yeah that may very well be because I don't see, uh, looking here on Rebel Scum, I don't see it. It doesn't say Target exclusive, so... Yeah. Yeah, um, but... These are pretty cool. Uh, they okay. had, a, you know, just kind of an easy way to get more scenery for your for your dioramas or your desk or your shelves um, by getting a few Jedi Knight figures that or Jedi Master figures that weren't necessarily released any other way at the time. So, um, like you have Oppo Rancis, you have Evan Peel, and then you have uh, kind of a somewhat unique Mace Windu. So. Even though you might have some of these characters, you're getting something a little bit different by buying them through these uh, screen scenes. Yeah, I mean, like, I never thought we'd necessarily get a Yaddle figure because it always kind of felt like George Lucas regretted (laughs) putting that character in the movie, but here it is. And uh, they kept him going, and that was great. I mean, it's one of the few times where they started a, uh, we're going to make this whole big scene, and over a couple of years, they finally put them all out. and. That was amazing. And like when we got Pot of the Lesser and we got another Count Dooku and we got more of their stooges. And uh, <laughs> I, I still have a hard time believing that they managed to convince somebody to put out just a pack of weird aliens who sit around <laughs> bickering. Uh, two of them, actually. Well, I guess two across two different scenes. Uh, but we got them and that was great. And they were only 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. 
especially by today's standards. I mean, you can't get anything for like, I mean, for $20 in the three and three quarter inch line, you can't even get a vehicle anymore. <laughs> no, no. I mean, like I, I bet if they simplified it just right, maybe they could make it happen. But uh, with a Disney tax, maybe not. So there, it looks like there is a, let's see, accessory sets. And I kind of vaguely remember these a little bit. So basically it had a figure and then it had a bunch of accessories that uh, you would get along with the figure. So for example, there's Indoor Victory with Scout Trooper uh, priced at $9.99. It has the Scout Trooper and it has um, some Rebel backpacks and it has, this is pretty cool, it has this accessory of the, uh, the helmets that you see the Ewok banging at the end of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the fun things about this set in particular is, uh, and not everybody knows this, uh, and I, I believe I can use this word on your podcast without getting yelled at, uh, it is an ass-backward scout trooper. It is quite literally assembled incorrectly. The, uh, <laughs> the crotchial region was put in backwards. That is hilarious. I had never noticed that. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, each figure in this line had something a little different about it, like the uh, Hoth set had a rebel uh, commander head on the rebel trooper body, the uh, battle droid was in red for the first time for that mold, and the Death Star Trooper was just uh, one that was kind of hard to get in 1998, and they brought him back with a better gun. Yeah, Smaller it's, gun. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, just, it's just crazy thinking back, you know, looking over these assortments, all the stuff that they actually produced. Yeah, I mean, when you get to 2005, 6, and 7, uh, when you start counting how many figures came out in a year, there was like, with all the five packs and everything, 250, 350 figures a year. Uh, for Saga, it wasn't that bad, but it was starting to get there. And you got really cool stuff, and they were really maximizing the molds they already had available. And each of these little packs had something new and interesting, like you mentioned the drums on the indoor set and the extra helmets. That was so cool. And for some reason, the Hoth set had a little tank. Like I don't know why, <laughs> but it was cool. Um, Battle Droid had a backpack that could shoot. It looked kind of like the Stap uh, from the uh, Episode One set, and that was pretty neat. And the Death Star set, you got a gun rack, you got a belt, you got all kinds of cool stuff. And the torture droid. I mean, uh, they didn't skimp. I mean, it was nice to see something fans were asking for. And back then, fans really were asking for accessory sets on a regular basis. Yeah, we really wanted to get, you know, stuff to flesh out those scenes and to build up, um, yeah, our scenery on the shelves. Um, so we also had collectible figures and cups. Now, this is something they did for a while. I think this probably spanned like a like maybe two or three lines. Yeah. Um, were these Target exclusives? I think they were uh, because they did. Uh, gosh, I was just looking at these the other day because these are other. I open almost everything, but I didn't open my cup figures yet. And I probably won't at this point because it was a repack of a figure you probably already had with a basically a fake Burger King glass. And these came out for Saga Original Trilogy Collection and Revenge of the Sith. I think is where it all ended. And uh, they made a lot of really great stuff. I mean, just it's kind of funny that Hasbro understood the importance of uh, 1970s Burger King collectibles. <laughs> and those were a big deal. I mean, when you went to antique and toy shows, Burger King glasses were something people kind of got excited about. Uh, and by making new things based on that, there was a certain thing they were tapping into. But I think today, I don't think anyone cares. It's just one of those things that people forgot. Um, for creatures, we have a couple. We have Reek and we have the Acolyte. Mm -hmm. uh, $14.99 for, for Reek. And then the Acolyte was coming in at $14.99. And have you seen what these go for on eBay lately? No. What are they going for? They're going for around $70, $80. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I remember these things just sitting around. Nobody wanted them. And like they, they repacked these things, too. There was a 
Toys R Us Geonosis Arena set where they changed them all a little bit. Like the Acklay had that extra eye painted and the coloring was a little bit better. And I think they took the electronics out of everybody. But uh, uh-huh. maybe that has something to do with it. But yeah, they're cool. I mean, like the, one of the neat things too about a lot of the Attack of the Clones stuff is the sculpts were based on the maquettes they used before they made the digital models. So when you go through the Art of Attack of the Clones book, and everyone listening will go through the Art of Attack of the Clones book, you'll notice that the Hasbro uh, Reek looks a lot like that sculpture. The Clone Trooper sneak preview figure looks a lot like the uh, wax sculpture for that too. It was interesting to see that these all came from somewhere very specific. Yeah, that is that is really cool that they incorporated that. And something they don't really seem to do quite as often. I, I guess they do most of it digitally now, it seems like. Yeah, and there's pros and cons for that because uh, a lot of the Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace uh, figures based on digital characters were kind of wrong. Like the first Geonosian warrior is naked. Um, <laughs> there weren't any naked ones in the movie, but if you look at, again at the maquettes, that what they were working from, they, the figure wasn't done yet, or the character design rather wasn't done yet. So they worked on what they had, and you got the best you could. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm always a big advocate of like, hey, if it's not done yet, maybe don't make a figure of it. Right. <laughs> Uh, let's see, Geonosis Battle Arena. So this was like the big playset of the Saga line, and uh, it was obviously based on the Geonosis Arena. It had uh, some action features built into it. You could pose your figures on there, kind of had what they were calling at the time Dooku's Box. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, pretty pretty, pretty big playset. Yeah, this was probably Hasbro's most ambitious playset ever in the modern era of the line. There was a Mustafar one that was pretty good. Uh, the Naboo ones weren't that fancy, uh, but like maybe until the barge, this is one of the biggest uh, environments you could get. Maybe the Millennium Falcon. Uh, it had all these pillars you could knock down. It had a front and a backside. It had these hooks you can connect those uh, deluxe figure sets we were talking about earlier. So you can make your own droid assembly line. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't uh, skimp on the detail. When you look at the back, they sculpted stuff into the walls. So it wasn't just like, you know, blank reverse wall space like you get in some things. Even this year's new... Java's Palace is a little blank, but this actually looks like they fleshed out the entire thing. Right. And they have retractable bridges, and they have places to store all kinds of stuff. And uh, dead battle droids and these little gears and wheels you can turn to make the figures look like they're fighting. I mean, it was a really cool thing, and it was only 40 bucks. Yeah, that that is something. Yeah, they... uh, did you know about the uh, G.I. Joe uh, edition of this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, well, the base of this set was reused for a G.I. Joe Spy Troops playset, which I ended up getting a uh, Target on clearance for $5. And it has all the dead battle droids in the base still. Oh, they wow. never took them out and resculpted it. So it has a bunch of Star Wars parts on this G.I. Joe set. Um, it's funny because like, sometimes they make a big fuss about can you share tooling or not. I would love to know what conversation, if any, takes place because why are there battle droids in G.I. Joe now? <laughs> but there are. <laughs> That's interesting. I had no idea about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. All right, so let's get into vehicles because there were some pretty great vehicles that I'd like to touch on in this line. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had your basics like Anakin Speeder, um, Anakin Swoop Bike, uh, and Darth Tyrannus' Speeder Bike. And these are kind of, you know, the more smaller, I mean, you can almost consider consider them to be like deluxe figures, really. Uh, $14.99 price points, and uh, each figure essentially just had a little speeder. Um, and then you get into uh, some of the larger ones. There was like Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter. Uh, this was the very first Jedi Starfighter, I believe, that we ever had, wasn't it? It was. And uh, was it a sneak preview vehicle as well, or am I misremembering? Uh, I, don't... I want to say this one came out a little bit early. 
It might have been. I know for Revenge of the Sith, they, they released Anakin's a little bit early. Yeah. Um, and then for Obi-Wan's Starfighter, they also had a KB Toys exclusive version that actually had the figure with it. Yeah, and uh, KB started a program with like a TIE fighter as well. And uh, there was a Naboo fighter that I can't remember if that one came out or not. But they were talking about doing a lot more of that kind of thing with a figure and a vehicle as an exclusive. And, you know, as somebody who opens stuff, I don't particularly care for that, uh, especially if they change anything. But there were a lot of things you could skip to. And uh, one of the things I thought was neat about this line was there weren't a lot of vehicles in that first year. Uh, but like the uh, gunship was like $40. It was pretty cool. The Slave 1 was pretty cool. But that Anakin swoop bike, uh, that has like the ugliest Anakin figure ever made. <laughs> that is one of the worst figures made in the entire line because he has this look that's like, oh, no, please don't kill me, which is not appropriate for Anakin. Um, and it's just bizarre. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And like the Anakin speeder and Zam Wessel speeder are cool speeders. But the figures weren't really designed to uh, fit in them. Like, so you can get it. You couldn't get a Zam Wessel figure in that thing. I mean, you can maybe like ball her up and cram her in there, but she wasn't designed to sit in there. And Anakin speeder, like the Outland peasant one that came out first, you couldn't put in there. And the uh, one with the removable arm didn't really fit either because of how the waist was designed. And uh, figure vehicle integration is something that like really bugs the daylights out of me. If you can't fit a pilot in a figure uh, in a vehicle, it's no good. And both of these, you couldn't. And like until the vintage collection ones came out, I don't think there was really a good fit in there either. So, uh, yeah, bad job, Hasbro. <laughs> be ashamed of yourselves. Yeah, that that is pretty annoying. Um, so, okay, so we had Django Fett Slave One, and this was a brand new version of the Slave One because uh, they hadn't done like a brand new one. Wasn't the Shadows of the Empire one based off the vintage mold? It was. Uh, so this was the same size. So at first glance, it was like, oh, it was probably just reusing parts, but it's 100% new, uh, new features, new clicking things. The cannons had those little tips that you could put the uh, blast effects on from the sneak preview Django Fed if you wanted. Mm. So it looks like it could be firing. Huh. Um, and it had those great sonic grenades you could drop out and firing rockets. I mean, it did a lot. It did. I, I have very fond memories of this one because I know that I'd, I remember getting it at Walmart. I had kind of passed on it for a long time. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this. So I got it. And I loved it. I really loved it. Yeah. I mean, and there weren't many vehicles to go around either. I mean, that year at retail, I think it was just Gunship, Django Slave 1, uh, Obi-Wan Starfighter, and the two speeders and, uh, and exclusives. But until the next year when we got uh, Anakin Swoop Bike and everything else. Sure. Yeah, th th this was a good one. They also repainted it into Boba Fett's Slave one. Uh, I think it was original trilogy collection, maybe a Target exclusive. Yeah, I had a heck of a time finding that. I remember the first time I actually saw it was at the uh, Once Upon a Toy at uh, Disney World when I was on my honeymoon. I didn't have enough room in my luggage to bring it back. And I was like, well, none of my Targets have this. How come they have it here? Because <laughs> uh, they had all the exclusives at uh, the uh, Disney place there. Uh, they also retooled it just a little bit. And every single one of the retail uh, original trilogy collection Boba Fett Slave Ones was missing his rocket. That's right. That's right. Now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, but Hasbro was cool, though. If you told them you didn't get a rocket, they sent you one in the mail. Nice. Um, so you mentioned one that I think is an absolute standout, not only of Saga, but the entire Star Wars line. And it's something that I am particularly fond of because it was the very first thing that I ever bought on eBay. And because it is just an awesome vehicle all the way around, and that is the Republic gunship. Yes. So what can you tell us about the Republic gunship? 
Oh, man, that one was such a delight because uh, it did a lot. It was big. And one of the things that amazed me, and you'll probably get to this in your uh, next one, is they did a redeco of it the following year for $10 cheaper. And that sort of thing always just blows my mind because it was originally <laughs> 40 and they put it out again for 30 And it's like, what do you not want to eat? Like, or are you overcharging us all along? What's going on here? Um, but it was such a great ship because it had this drop away uh, landing party base. It had these opening wings. You push a button and they fly open. Uh, these launching rockets, the uh, chin guns or whatever you want to call them, can launch off for reasons I still don't understand. Um, you can put the pilots in there, and there's hookups for gun pods. And they made little gun pods in 2002 and bigger ones in 2008 or nine, I think it was. So they really went out of their way to make a toy that was expandable, capable, and pretty good. And they repainted the heck out of this thing. They did. Um, this was an amazing thing. I know that, uh, like on the forums, I was saying, you know, there was a lot of hype around, you know, the gunship. Oh, you know, this is going to be the new like Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and, mm. um, I mean, in a way, maybe it, it's it's sort of it was the Falcon, obviously, but it, it really, I think Hasbro made whatever investment you know money they put into developing this back a hundred times over because, <laughs> um, yeah, there were a lot of repaints. There was this very first one, of course, it was based on Attack of the Clones. Uh, but then, yeah, like you said, a year later, they re they repainted it into more, like, it had black on it, and it was kind of, it, it was marketed in the Clone Wars uh, micro-series toy line, even though we never saw any gunship that looked like that in the series. Uh, and then, uh, you know, several times more, they, they either repainted or they retooled it and re-released it uh, in different lines for a very long time. I think the last one was the Vintage Collection in 2013. Um, so, yeah, they made it last for for you know well over 10 years yeah i mean and i bought every single version of the dumb thing and <laughs> they are not easy to find places for on the shelves because those wings they're detachable but uh it's really not conducive to displaying because like you can't quite put it against a wall because the it's got the gun in the back and it's got the big wings so you can't turn it on its side and yeah i guess you could hang it up but i'm not going to do that uh but most of the uh, detail was painted on like the republic worn symbol which was kind of interesting that these were brand new off the assembly line and they're already battle damaged, but what do I know? And uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was a great toy, and for the asking price, you got a nice big thing. Um, also, none of these vehicles had electronics, which was interesting. Right. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, this this was a great one. I um, I still have that very first one, uh, and then you know, obviously, I bought when they started repainting more of them over the years. <laughs> um, but yeah, so lots of great stuff, and uh, even for like the classic trilogy, they did have a few items that were exclusives, like the A-wing, and uh, things like Luke's land speeder. That was also that was a Toys R Us exclusive. Uh, so a few smaller vehicles, and, and even things like the Tie Bomber. Was that the very first Tie Bomber they ever did? That was the second Tie Bomber. The first one was released like I want to say it was supposed to be with the Attack of the Clones launch in Power of the Jedi packaging. But it, uh, I think I got it like a week or two before, and I was hitting stores left and right looking for that because it came out with the uh, sa uh, Snowspeeder at the same time in that uh, really cool diorama packaging. This TIE Bomber, I dragged my feet on getting because it was the same as the other one, except it had extra black, like, scuffing carbon marks on it. Uh -huh. And I didn't buy it until maybe like five years ago, ten years ago on eBay because I refused to pay full price for something with so little difference to it. Um, but the price goes up and down over the time. And this was uh, 2002, 2003 were the first TIE Bombers in the three to quarter inch line. And again, it was just really exciting to see Hasbro would make new classic vehicles just for us old timers who like this kind of stuff and the kids who grew up on it. 
on uh, VHS. It had this uh, bomb shoot. You pushed the button and they dropped out these little charges and you could put the figure in the cockpit and uh, it was really cool. And I think they ended up making like four or five repaints. I have them all up on a shelf. I just need to go count them. But I got like a wall of TIE fighters and there's way too many TIE fighters. Oh yeah, there's plenty of TIE fighters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was also the the line that launched the uh, Unleashed assortment, which you know did go on to span a few different lines. Um, so the very earliest uh, from this from Unleashed, uh, I believe, were Darth Maul and uh, Django Fett. Were those those were the first two? I think correct. Yeah, they were. And uh, it was funny because when they originally were rumored, uh, they were called Generation Y figures. And I guess that was the working name or maybe even what they were considering calling it. And I'm so glad they changed it. Um, And when they came out, fans hated them. Like anytime there was a new scale, people cry bloody murder. And eventually they warm up to them. We saw the same thing with the Black Series, the 2013 debut of that six inch line. People folded their arms when that first wave came out and turned up their noses at it. And you could buy those first four figures on Amazon for 10 to $13 a few months after release because people just did not want them. <laughs> a lot has changed. And the same thing happened with the Unleashed figures because some of those got pretty expensive before they got reissued. Right. And, uh, and like early Power of the Force collection, crazy rumors started coming up, like uh, the Padme recall rumor that was not true at all. Um, and the Darth Vader got really expensive because people like Darth Vader. But yeah, the Padme sculpt was a little extreme uh <laughs> in, in various ways uh, the pose was perfectly normal not very unleashed but the proportions were certainly um adventurous right yeah there were there was a few conversations at the time about that <laughs> yeah yeah i was kind of surprised um but that's you know certain attributes do make figures more appealing to certain audiences and uh mcfarland collectors still talk about the party angela to this day um and yeah, it's not the kind of thing that you expect to see on your toy aisles, but they were popular. They sold and, and people make up these rumors. It's unfortunate that it's not true. They, re- they never recalled the figure, but it did drive interest to the line and kept people looking at it, which it needed. And uh, you got these six inch, seven inch statue figures. They came on a great display base. They were $15. I have all mine out on a shelf. Uh, I walk by every morning and they look great. I yeah. mean, to this day, I think they're one of the greatest things Hasbro ever put out. Absolutely. They still hold up to this day. Like I, I'm actually really surprised because when, when assembling some of these, and I'm thinking of things like that Revenge of the Sith Darth Vader, who's just kind of basically hanging from a little metal peg on a very flimsy plastic <laughs> base. Yeah. Like, How do they hold up so well after all this time? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't know, because three and a quarter inch battle droids, especially from this era, the limbs were so thin on the regular and super ones that if you put them on a display stand on a little peg on their foot, the leg will warp with gravity over time because it's too thin. It's not strong enough to keep the figure up. But these things are fine after 10 years. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. I I love the Unleashed line. I was really sad when they made it into these tiny little figurines. I never bought bought any of them i'm ashamed to admit i have all of them except for one set if anyone wants to sell me the atte gunners and drivers pack uh call me i'd like to buy it uh but uh no i picked them all up because i i have no shame and uh but the bigger ones were unquestionably better and it was nice that they trickled them out i mean the first ones were on those quasi saga packaging and then they switched to these uh dynamic card art with character specific portraits in 2004 and 5 and they switched to these giant canisters uh, and made them all retailer exclusive. And they were mostly reissues except for a clone retool or redeco here and there. Uh-huh. Uh, they did something great. I mean, that's one of those things that I think they could probably consider bringing back in a good way. But uh, they kind of did with those uh, Black Series centerpiece figures mm-hmm. that were $50. Mm-hmm. And when I saw those, I'm just like, no one's going to buy this. 
because um, it's it's too expensive. And you know, at fifteen dollars, Unleashed was the greatest thing in the world. At twenty dollars, people started dragging their feet. Right. At fifty dollars, they don't care. Totally. <laughs> Uh, so I'm looking at uh, the rest of the assortments here. One of them, is, I don't remember this one. It says ten doll or ten inch vinyl figures. Were these sold everywhere? They were not sold everywhere. Um, I think I saw them only at maybe Walmart and Kmart. They were sold online. Target and Toys R Us didn't carry them. I still haven't bought any of these. Um, but during every now and again, Hasbro experiments with these hollow vinyl figures because they they're cheap to make. Uh, kids tend to like them. They hold up well. They're durable. Bandai makes Godzilla ones, and they just reissued a bunch uh, just now for like ten-ish bucks each on these little tray packs. Uh-huh. Uh, this kind of toy has been a staple of uh, toy boxes for years. I mean, the old Safubi figures are worth a fortune. They make limited edition new ones now. Uh, Hasbro has some Transformers ones. They just re-reissued at uh, Walmart late last year. I picked up an Optimus Prime on clearance just a couple months ago. Hmm. Um, they're cool. They're cheap. They're neat. But they're quickly forgotten because anytime you introduce a new scale, I think fans don't really get into it until there's uh, evidence that it's going to go on for a while. True. Yeah, they look fairly decent, actually, like looking over the pictures here. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I uh, I still wish I got the Darth Vader and the Jango Fett, but um, maybe I'll, I'd say maybe I'll look on eBay, but like I still got to find a place to put my barge. So no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um so 12-inch figures, I think this, was this the last line that Hasbro actually did, like 12-inch, like detailed figures? They still did some for Revenge of the Sith. Um, they didn't right. get a lot That's of distribution, right. and I think they were forgotten pretty quickly. A lot of the 12-inch ones for Attack of the Clones are pretty nice, because it was a mix between new and old. They kept doing, like, the Bounty Hunters. Um, the Jango Fett and Deluxe packaging was really cool, because they had, like, chrome weapons and alternate heads and all this really cool stuff. And they had those simpler electronic battling figures, which uh, they make a lot more figures like this now for uh, Marvel um, when they can sense what direction they're moving and maybe they can interact with each other. Um, I got that Django and do not regret it. It was a really good figure. It had a removable helmet and it was more of a kid toy. It didn't quite feel like the value you were getting in the three and a quarter inch line at the time, but it, it was big and hefty and cool. Um, a lot of these were exclusives too. If I remember correctly, Plo Koon might have been or maybe it was Kiyoti Mundi. Uh, fan club exclusive and again I got that at the Wizards of the Coast store for like two bucks I mean they just had vats of uh, the white boxed figure four packs and just all this unsold inventory when the fan club moved to a new publisher home Um, yeah there was a lot of surplus in this era there were some interesting ones like you noted Uh, I think I did pick up Dengar somehow I ended up with Dengar um, which is kind of a surprising one to be released you know in the midst of this you know 12 inch saga line but uh, I did have that one, and I think I'm pretty sure I have Count Dooku. Uh, and that might be that might actually be it. Maybe Zam Wessel, I think. But um, one that really stands out, and I never actually got it, but um, I was looking at it not too long ago. Was uh, there's a Yoda that has his hover chair and accessories? Have you seen that one? I have that one. It's really cool. Uh, it's the episode one chair, not the hover one, unfortunately. But other than that, it's really cool because it has the Sith lightning and it has a cloth robe. And, you know, in the era of the $200, $300 Japanese import, super hyper detailed deluxe figure, these things were 20 bucks meant for consumers. I mean, uh, they were still going for that uh, nostalgic 12-inch late 70s Star Wars collector because those 12-inch figures were some of the first things to get expensive or the old G.I. Joe guys. And uh, that 12-inch scale just really kind of took a nosedive starting around then. Uh, that's when they all kind of moved on. Yeah, yeah, it's it, 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 it's interesting. I, I got to get that one on eBay. It, it looks really good. 
Uh, yeah, I think that pretty well covers it. The only things we haven't really touched on are like play school, action fleet, role play. Oh, any, any we got to talk play school. All we right. got to talk about them. Let's do it. Uh, play school. That was where Galactic Heroes started. Uh, those were the first packs that became Galactic Heroes. And these were developed years earlier and never came out. Uh, again, I was talking with Hasbro at a convention uh, around 2000, and they were telling me, oh, yeah, we got sculpts for Leia and this one and all that. And I'm like, well, where are you going to put these out? And they're like, oh, we don't know. We don't know if we're going to put them out. So these were just sitting on Hasbro's desk for years, nowhere to go, no plans to be released until they came out for this. And uh, I thought they were – I loved them. I thought they were really exciting. Uh, there was Jurassic Park Jr. around the same time, and I was buying those. When I was dating my wife, she got me a Jurassic Park Jr. set for Valentine's Day because she understands me. And uh, – <laughs> I was really excited to run out and get these things. And uh, they reissued a lot of these molds several times. And I don't think there was any mold that was exclusive to this line because they reissued so much. But there's Deco here you won't see anywhere else, like a uh, Geonosian that is unique to this set. They're pretty cool. I never really got into Galactic Heroes until... I think it was a few years after they, they started doing it. But once they started incorporating more unique ones, like they did like the two Cantina sets... Yeah, those were cool. Yeah, those were cool. And that's kind of what drew me in was, you know, more of that, you know, classic Star Wars sort of sort of stuff. Yeah, I uh, I like these from the word go because they had something like this planned in the 70s. It never came out. And because I read Steve Sansweet's from Concept Screen Collectible and I looked at those, I'm like, oh, I hope they make those someday. So as soon as they saw this, the button was there to push and I just ran out and got them. And uh, I believe I have every single Galactic Heroes figure variation. Oh, wow. Jack Porkins, X-Wing, the play sets. I just went all out. And uh, yeah, no, they did a good job. <laughs> nice. Now, were you a fan of the Action Fleet line? I was. Uh, I was in written communication before I way back in the day when I was just a little baby collector. Um, I wrote Galoob letters all the time. And so either the CEO or someone pretending to be the CEO would write back <laughs> and send me stuff. And one of the things I wrote uh, right when Mac Micro Machines hit was like, do you guys know the micro collection with little figures, like the little guys you could put in there? And then like a year and a half later, the action fleet came out. So either I inspired them or they were planning it anyway. I tell myself it was all me. I'm sure they were doing it. But uh, <laughs> I love these. And it was so infuriating to see that these lines just kind of ended. I mean, this is basically Hasbro gave it a second chance after they bought Galoob. The micro line for episode one just did not do well. I blame the packaging and there being too much product. But these were great because you got these little vehicles and they had some deco changes. They left the figures out to keep the $9.99 price point, which was kind of disappointing. But it was a good scale, a good price, and you got your money's worth. Uh, they just didn't make, I think, enough interesting stuff. And once the figures went away, um, they stopped being toys and started just being a thing you put on your desk. Sure, sure. Like a lot of the stuff we see now from like Hot Wheels or uh, Mattel that they do with the with their little vehicles. Yeah, yeah, they're higher dollar ones. That whole Elite collection just kind of went away, uh, Star Wars and the other ones too. But at least with the cars, you know, they make tracks and stuff you can play with. And the new uh, Hot Wheels cars have these weird little action features, like they can swing a lightsaber, which is ridiculous, but cool. <laughs> yeah, so just to touch on role play real quick, um, this was mainly electronic lightsabers, a couple of blaster mm -hmm. sets. Um, I do. I did want to mention this though, because there were some weird lightsabers that were released in during this uh, line. So, uh, things like orange lightsabers, which you know we never saw in the films, uh, and maybe that was inspired partially by Mace Windu having purple. Maybe I guess Hasbro maybe said, "Oh, well, maybe there's every color of lightsaber, and we just haven't <laughs> seen them yet." Yeah, if you look uh, back at the Phantom Menace line and the comics surrounding it, uh, there was no edict that lightsabers could only be uh, blue, green, red, and Mace Windu purple. 
Uh, Mace Windu's lightsaber was blue back then. Plo Koon had the uh, purple one. Uh, I think, was it Stacey Tin? It had like a yellowish green one. Yes. Everybody had unique colors. And everyone in Lucasfilm licensing was okay with that until Attack of the Clones came out. Then <laughs> it all changed uh, shortly thereafter. But this was the movie where they discovered that lightsabers would be a big pillar of the Star Wars business. They started getting an inkling during uh, Phantom Menace, but this is where they started making more varieties, more colors, and it became a staple of the line, which is good and bad, because if you go to Walmart now, most of what they have is lightsabers, because that's what's selling. That's all they have at my local Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still a hot thing, and that's probably one of the reasons Hasbro's going to make Star Wars products till the end of time, because kids like lightsabers. Sure. Uh, and for the longest time, it was just the electronic ones, I was really excited when they finally did the Nerf ones, but those didn't sell well, which shocked me. I thought that was going to be a huge hit because uh, around this era is when Play School started doing their plush lightsabers, which I don't know if they're in the galleries or not. Those sold really well. Uh, we had them at Entertainment Earth for a short period of time. Couldn't keep them in stock. People loved them. But um, yeah, no, no, lightsabers are what kids buy. They don't want action figures, and uh, uh-huh. that is depressing. It is, and um, uh, that is very evidence, like I'm saying, my local Walmart, because literally that's all they have is they have maybe like six um, Black Series figures that are just, you know, they look like they've been there for a year. They're just collecting dust. The, the edges of uh, the cards are very worn, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, it's really old figures, just like Constable Zuvio. <laughs> There's like, yeah, yeah, like Han Solo from Solo Star Wars Story, just, you know, just older figures. And then right above it, it's just a few of those extendable lightsabers. That's all they have for Star Wars. Yeah, we have some of the electronic ones at some of our closer Walmarts, too. But um, it, it's one of the things that's kind of infuriating right now. Uh, you know, when you look at Saga, you got something new in every wave. Like it was very uncommon that you would ever pick up a new case of figures and you wouldn't have at least two guys in it who were never action figures before, be they original trilogy or Attack of the Clones or concept art. You were going to get something you hadn't seen. Uh-huh. We're not getting that today. And uh, we're also seeing like there's a lot of secondhand stores that buy people's collections near me. Um, pretty much everything from the Black Series Disney era, you can't get more than five or ten bucks for it. Hmm. which is telling. I mean, uh, even the prequel stuff, it's not what it used to be. You're probably going to get five bucks for a lot of the saga stuff, unless it's the really good stuff. Um, but it's that original trilogy stuff that seems to keep bringing people back. And uh, unless it was something kids played with, like lightsabers. Kids like lightsabers. They'll buy new and better versions of lightsabers. Sure. It's just kind of sad to see the line kind of dying on the vine right now. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, well, I hope the uh, Triple Force Friday launch is going to be a big deal. Uh, mm. I, there's a lot going on that weekend, like a lot. It's the same weekend as New York Comic Con, and it's going to be crazy. So, Adam, the only other things I have here on the list are um, for miscellaneous, there's some Tiger Electronics. We have an Ask Yoda and a Jango Fat Room Alarm. Yeah, I did I get that Jango? No, I didn't get that Jango Fat Room Alarm. It was kind of like those Unleashed figures where it was kind of a statue. I thought that was kind of cool. And uh, this is when Hasbro was still doing their whole Tiger Electronics thing. And that Askyota was released a few times, and it got kind of expensive, too. Uh, but the skin breaks down. Ah, that's a, that's not good. <laughs> no, no. Like, when he blinks, like, the eyelid kind of breaks over time. I remember seeing some of these in the stores where, like, the edges of the cheeks were already, like, torn. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of stuff where it's nice when they try new stuff. But, like, you look at the stuff, and uh, no amount of toy testing can really figure out what it's going to do over time. Uh-huh. And this is one of those things you looked at and it could just be really disgusting because it was in try me packaging too. So everyone was touching it. 
they don't always wash their hands. Maybe they just ate something. You'd sometimes see stuff covered in silly string. It was just sure. disgusting. <laughs> Um, so I want to uh, talk real quick about our, about toy honey experiences with this line. So, um, overall for you, like how, how was it? Was, was it difficult to find figures? Uh, were things, were you pretty well covered in your area? What was the overall experience? For me, this was the golden era of toy collecting. Like, uh, in 2002, I, uh, I got my attack of the clones. I think it was the, uh, the midnight madness was just after I finished classes in college and I worked out my course load right before I graduated so I had no final exams so I was basically just in toy heaven from the word go on this one and uh, I could drive around I could find stuff between Phoenix and Tucson where I was living at the time I saw pretty much everything it really wasn't that hard to find it took a little while but I would find stuff um, the prices were good the stuff was out there uh, there was a lot of figure swapping going on because people are monsters but uh, <laughs> other than that, you, you could pretty much find what you wanted if you kept uh, vigilant, just because of, I think, where I live, too. Phoenix is very much uh, wall-to-wall suburbia. There were so many Toys R Us's, Walmarts, Kmarts, Targets, KBs, uh, and other stores that don't exist anymore that you could go to and find stuff. And it was pretty likely that if you wanted something and you hit one general mall and orbited everywhere around that mall, you were going to find something interesting that day. Uh, the only exception was there was one area where it was mostly new construction and retirees where I would notice a pattern uh, in Star Wars and Transformers. One or two figures per wave would not sell, and they would have 50 of that figure. And two of those figures were Jango Fett Pilot and the Zam Wessel with the magnet arm. Mm. And they just had pegs of nothing but. And then all of a sudden, no new Star Wars for a couple of months because those would not go away. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Now... I, I think with me, uh, it, like you said early on, it was it was fairly easy to get stuff. I mean, with a, enough effort, you know, a lot of the stuff was heavily produced, as is the case with most Star Wars toy lines. You know, those early waves, you know, you're gonna find, you're not gonna have too much trouble finding stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, with me, I remember that I think it was towards the end of, well, early 2003, there was like a huge drought. I know that like there was a big gap. I think between. Uh, the wave that had like the weird stuff like the mace on a stick <laughs> um, or the Happy Meal R2-D2 as it used to be called because it was just this really like cheap looking R2 that had like a string. Um, yeah. Figures uh. figures like that like from that wave to the next one which I think would have been like the summer wave with like Coleman Trevor and, and um, um, maybe Barisafi that wave like it, there was just like nothing and I, I know that like online people were saying that they had similar experiences uh in their areas at least um where you know it was just kind of like a drought and then you know once once the line kind of did relaunch during that time it was like late summer you know august or so where they did have figures like coleman trubber and you know those later fall waves um it kind of got back to normal again but i still had a few issues with some of the later figures of the year like um i know that the concept mccrory trooper only found that once and uh, other than that, uh, some of those figures were a little bit tricky to get. Not not so much the Imperial Dignitaries; those were pretty readily available. Um, yeah. I, those, in fact, I think the second one that they did was kind of something of a peg warmer. 
my area. Well, the funny thing here is those last waves of 2003, like uh, Elon Sleaze Bagano with his head variant with ears and no ears and all that stuff, the Macquarie Trooper, I would find those on clearance at Target. Like, oh, it was wow. a great era for Target clearances. If you had Targets around and you knew where certain neighborhoods where people didn't like to shop who collected toys, you could clean up. I was buying certain Transformers for a dollar or two. I was getting the variant figures I needed from whatever waves for like 224. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Uh-huh. Um, and that's probably why distribution would get a little bit worse here and there because stuff just piles up. It's They can't get rid of it for a discount. And uh, I'm very cheap and appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that's probably was part of the problem too, is that in my hometown, you know, it wasn't, it was kind of a smallish town and, you know, we only had one Walmart and one Target and yeah. uh, we had KB Toys, but, you know, KB Toys was you know, hit or miss. Um, so, and you know, during that time I was in high school and I think my mom wasn't really going to let me drive, you know, 45 minutes to the next closest town that had, you know, target. (laughs) Um, so that was kind of out of, out of the question, but, um, until, you know, later I did go to off to college and I was able to, you know, I had all the targets and Walmarts that I could possibly imagine made it a lot easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, uh, when I went off to college and was doing the toy collecting thing, I mean, I'm sure everyone else was just like, yeah, I'm going to, go out and I'm going to do this with these people and I'm going to drink and I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to try this. I'm going to go to strip clubs. And I'm just like, I am going to all the Walmarts, Targets, Toys R Us's, game shops and bookstores. This is going to be great. And um, (laughs) I'd be up all night looking for CDs and toys and stuff because that's what I would do. And uh, it was, you know, fantastic because all the other people there were busy getting wasted. And I'm just like, great, please keep doing that. I've got a power of the force, Target exclusive Tatooine skiff to find. You be distracted. (laughs) Awesome. That, that that sounds very similar to me as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, Adam, it's been 17 years since this line kicked off. What do you think is the legacy of the Saga line in the grand scheme of things? It was the, the weird thing I thought about it, and we kind of lost this, was they identified on the packaging where the figure came from. So if you look at your Saga Wave 1 figures, it says Star Wars on top in big letters, which is important for branding. Uh, but it also said Attack of the Clones right above the character name. Uh, that's something that comes and goes. Revenge of the Sith had it, and Force Awakens had it, and Rogue One had it. But Last Jedi and Solo, a Star Wars story, do not identify where the figures come from. And I think when you start getting to some of these weird guys, people kind of need to know what they're getting. Are they buying a video game figure? Are they buying a comic book figure? Mm-hmm. Um, Hasbro understood instinctively at this point, you need to explain to people, because they might not recognize where the obscure guy comes from. And right now they're not doing that. Um, I think that's a shame, because uh, this is a great line as far as getting people involved. They had a big picture on the back. They didn't show as many figures in the card back as they used to, but they had co-sell still, and uh, it was a time of great experimentation. I mean, we saw articulation added to figures, because the first ever uh, super-articulated figure was the Clone Trooper in the Companion Clone Wars assortment at the mm-hmm. time. Um, we saw action features for the very first time. You know, you push a button and the arms swing. We saw... Uh, that weird string flying mechanism. We saw playsets integrated into $10 carded figures. Uh, Hasbro tried everything with this line, and we got so many cool toys that you could actually play with and do things other than just stand there. Mm-hmm. Sadly, they kind of did away with that after Revenge of the Sith. I mean, they they know collectors usually complain about that kind of thing, but I think it makes the figures memorable. Right. And the price point was uh, very accessible. I mean... If you could go to a store today and buy a $5 action figure of almost anything that you just kind of like, you probably would. Uh, If you could buy a $5 Marvel figure and you're not a Marvel collector, but you like the Marvel movies, you'd probably do it. 
And with Star Wars, I remember going to Midnight Madness with all of my non-toy collector buddies from our comedy group, and they all bought stuff. And they're not Star Wars collectors. So, you know, th there was something to it. This was a special line that touched people in a certain way by giving them cool, familiar stuff, uh, new stuff, exotic stuff, and weird stuff. And I don't think we're ever going to see anything like it again. I mean, in 2006 and 7, we'd see some really cool things. But uh, looking forward, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like this again. Yeah, yeah. I think you summed it up pretty well. It was a very expansive line. And they did try doing a lot of things with it. And a lot of that, you know, of course, revolved around action features and magnets and all this fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it the prices, too. I mean, you know, like you said, $5 for, for a basic figure. Um, that's pretty unbeatable. And even during like the Power of the Force era, I think that's about what figures cost is around $5. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the first couple of years were four ninety nine. They did five ninety nine when the uh, freeze frames came out. And then it was uh, six ninety nine during the ComTech era. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I really, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to go back to, to doing anything like this in the future, unfortunately. But um, the good news is that if anybody's looking for, you know, any of these figures, they want to get into this line. Uh, it's really not too expensive to do so. You can go to eBay and hit up all of these figures and, you know, you can get most of them relatively inexpensively and even things like the multi-packs or the play sets. Uh, I, even even like the arena playset, I don't think that goes for more than, I mean, it, it probably goes for around 70 or so last I checked, which isn't that bad. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely an accessible line if, if anybody wants to check these figures out. I mean, it's I definitely recommend at least getting into the more collector-oriented figures like the, the Ultra line or um, some of the more obscure things that were available later in the Saga line, especially if you're building up things like the Sail Barge or trying to finish these very scene-specific dioramas you might be trying to set up. A really great line to do all of that. Yeah, I mean, we barely scratch, uh, scratched the surface on the 2004 Saga line, which was all original trilogy, and you got uh, Rapper Tuning from the Special Edition. You got a new version of uh, Skiff Guard Lando, which was a really good one. Uh, holographic Luke Skywalker, uh, just one good figure after another, and... Again, five, six bucks. I mean, whoever thought we'd get that uh, Elam guy? I certainly didn't. I mean, again, like the only collectible you had before this was on the uh, side of a Return of the Jedi Dixie cup. <laughs> I mean, like they just don't make this kind of stuff anymore. And uh, I'm sure he's probably more than five bucks today, but he's worth it. He's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Adam, anything you'd like to add about this line? Uh, don't ask why. Just buy, buy, buy. If you see these things at a good price, just help yourself. You'll be glad you did. <laughs> nice. Well, Adam, as always, it's been a huge pleasure having you on the show. You do excellent work on 16bit.com and galactichunter.com. So thank you so much for all the time and effort you spend into uh, working on those sites and providing all the information and, and insight that you do to collectors. Oh, thank you. So if fans want to look you up online on the socials, uh, where, where can they go? Well, you should see my Instagram that I just made. It's all Game Boy camera pictures because uh, obviously my head's stuck in the past. Uh, Adam16bit, uh, you can put in your uh, favorite search engine and you'll find me somewhere. I'm all over the place. Very cool. So I will throw links to galactichunter16bit.com and uh, all of your social media accounts down in the show notes. So be sure to check those out and head on over and check out all the great stuff that Adam is doing. Adam, as always, thanks again. Great. Thanks for having me.
If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate Cantina Chatter and leave a review. If you're so inclined, Victoria's Cantina is on Patreon. To gain greater access to Victoria's Cantina and help keep the lights on, be sure to hit that link in the show notes. You can also follow us on Facebook by searching for Victoria's Cantina, Instagram at Victoria's Cantina, and Twitter at Vix Cantina. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Cantina Chatter Podcast.